So I hope that I have sound and audio and I can see that I can. I am, I have a caller on the line already. Are you there, Marks? I will start off by saying this call is brought to you by Dialogue. Like discussion and debate, Dialogue lets you have your own call-in show over the internet. Okay, so this will be my first time broadcasting today. And it's important to find out if my caller is on. I don't see my, um, my caller. But nevertheless, I will continue and I'll, I'll see now if my caller is, um, is on. Just gonna tweet to Kings with Style and um, see how that goes. We won't give too many ums and ahs. The name of my discussion today, well, first off, my name's Amias, we Aborigine, and I'm hosting a discussion entitled The Independent Musician, Intellectual Property, and the Benevolent Nature of Creative Assets. A little bit about myself, I'm an artist, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I planted roots on the LA underground, a hip hop scene, Central Avenue, Watts Connection, a Coalition Against Police Abuse, Chaos Network, Watts Cinnamon Educational Center. I am a Watts star, a big up Barbara Stanton. The roots and culture scene, um, simply put, urban culture, universal black heritage is where I'm coming from. I could go on this extensive spiel, substantiate my knowledge on the points of this discussion today, but I'm gonna narrow it down to some recent markers. I graduated from the Musician Institute, uh, Musicians Institute of Hollywood from the Recording Artist Program. Uh, while I was a student there, I worked as an intern at Jubilee Palace. That's um, it's a studio in LA run by a Jamaican producer by the name of Shaka Man. Uh, I also interned for Radio Recorders Studio on Santa Monica in Hollywood. That was uh, um, the location of formerly Studio 54 there on Santa Monica. I received an associate's degree in legal studies and I'm currently completing a bachelor's degree in business administration. I make beats, I write lyrics, I engineer the recordings of my lyrics and beats. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the need to supplement my creativity with the technical and administrative components it drove me and drives me to learn as much as possible to further this music, which is a message, um, a movement that I believe so much, I believe in it so much. Um, so it, it enabling it to go forward is part of the reason why, you know, go from writing lyrics and waiting on a producer to deliver the beat to getting the equipment, making it, learn to make beats, uh, acquiring my own equipment through my own means, and, you know, becoming great data engineering the stuff and, of course you wanna know about owning it. You know, sometimes you go through all this thing to make it and it's like, okay, well now <laughs> the first thing you give away is your rights um, that are only created with the, the creation of the song. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna look again and see, hopefully I'm being heard. That, that's my goal. Um, I see the, the flashing there and, oh, new caller, hey. Um, let's see, Purple Bear. I'm gonna unmute you. Hello. I got a caller, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can right you on. hear me? I can. Great. 
Might you have anything to input? I was just going through the introduction, but I'm glad to have you calling in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was a great introduction. And um, this is uh, Maurice at Kings of Style. Who's Purple Bear? Maybe someone else. Okay, someone else is listening. Okay, so we, we have an audience today. Um, okay, yeah, with, yeah, it was some good interesting points. Let, let me, um, uh, what is it, Di digress for a moment. Uh, I stay right across the street from Capitol Records, correct, in Hollywood. And I was just thinking, why doesn't a big record company like that, you know, with all the talent in Los Angeles and all the talent in Hollywood, they have a big, huge parking lot over there. You never see artists coming and going from, you know, that record building. It seems like they would have some kind of forum where they could just audition artists constantly, night and day. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, you know, like I said, digress and take away from the conversation. But that just amazes me that a big, huge company like that, whose business it is, is supposedly the record business or the music-making industry, why don't they have a, a more open-door policy where artists can come and say, hey, I believe I'm a great artist, you know, because they still have the same, it seems like the same kind of old, archaic record submission or demo tape submission or however people get discovered nowadays i don't know you know but it seems like they, they, they're still going by this old format where there's so many ways you could find you know all this great talent you know so that, that was just i think there is a history of labels being interested in artists that have drawing power okay it's one thing to invest in an artist that um, to develop them and build something that they don't have already or something that's pending in their future, as opposed to an artist who has a body of music that has a stage show and has a following. And in the past, you, you get that, um, that picture of artists working hard to hone their craft and be seen being in a place where those that are inclined to, like you say, get discovered or position themselves where someone that's um, bigger can carry them forward and invest in that. Ike Turner is an interesting, um, I, I throw him out there because I think about how hard they worked. They were known, this this band, this whole unit he had, he pressed out the records, he owned the the music itself. He was a publisher, he was a music publisher. And when a record label invests in an artist, it's definitely an investment for the record company to the point of the artist becoming an employee. So there's a, a artist actually may become inverted. You do so much to lead your career, to get noticed, to develop this, and then you sort of hand over the keys to the record company. So they are very selective on the type of artist, I would think, that has that um, malleability, you know, that, that, uh, that can be honed and controlled and restrained in a way to get the most out of that artist as an investment for profit. And that, that inverted relationship is crazy because often, you know, there, there's these great artists like Mariah Carey with such a beautiful voice. You can give her a great song that many different people worked on and she can carry it. I think it's different when you have an artist who may be a writer and a producer at the same time. And they're coming with an asset 
more so that you know the voice and the that the image is an asset but the commodity is the publishing rights of the song that's, that's coming from the writer that's coming from the uh, the producer or i would say composer more so than producer okay uh, i don't know if that that touches on the the question well it, well, it does but I, I i was just like i'm thinking about it from like the standpoint of like let's say like a sports team you know or a professional sports organization you know they have talent scouts that go out and you know look for talent when these guys are in you know junior high and high school and college you know what i'm saying they're looking at them long term you know to invest in them and bring them into the professional league it seems like people in the music industry or the entertainment industry and yes they do have people that go out i know and you know discover people or see them in plays or you know uh musicals or whatever and 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 you know, tell them that they're talented or you have shows like The Voice and all these other shows. But it seems like, you know, that raw talent, that undiscovered talent, there, there would be a, some some easier avenue other than becoming huge on YouTube or, you know, like you said, making yourself this marketable uh, asset that these companies, then they want to look at you and exploit you. You know, it seems like there would be some kind of easier way in um, – you know, just getting in that door just to say, you know, just, just to be heard, you know? So yeah, yeah, you did touch on it, you know? Yeah, but you yeah. know, I don't, I don't know if it's getting easier, but it's definitely becoming more accessible for a musician, an artist to empower themselves. Because one thing to me that's really important for a, a performer who is a writer, who's a creative person is understanding the nature of the asset that we create with the production of a song. With the mere writing of lyrics, that asset when properly registered with the, for instance, we everyone thinks of the copyright as the, um, the Library of Congress as uh, end all for the ownership of your music. And of course the record companies, it's standard for the, um, for the copyrights to be transferred from the original owner, the writer to the record company, oh, you know, really? all of the rights are transferred. That's, that's what's so interesting. And then it becomes a numbers game where there's, you can you imagine every major city you have in California, you have Los Angeles, um, San Francisco, San Diego, you have the whole Bay area, central California, uh, Sacramento, Fresno, we, we're not going as big as um, Boots got Fresno heating up right now. We won't dare call it a major city yet. But just imagine those, all those regions, everyone simultaneously getting access to a physical product, being able to hear three to five times a day that this product is coming. And, and so the marketing power is a big thing that the record companies have that they sort of barter in exchange for the rights that uh, to possess these rights that are never given back. I, th I thought it was so funny how R. Kelly, people won't listen to his song, I Did It, I Admit It. But he released a 16 minute, 20 minute song. And there were a few times I had to pause it because it was just, it's sad and hilarious. Of course, I think that we condone his music, which is very, so um, debasing and it totally like you distorts our impression of what love and relationships are. So. Now we finally want to mute him on the fringes of this Me Too movement, but we've allowed so much. And 
he speaks on a few things in the song. Excuse me for, I'm just going to finish this little point. He, he said that he, um, he's a broke-ass legend, that he can't read or write. He signed away all of his publishing, and as much as he asks, they won't give it back. And also that he, is, he needs to tour simply to pay his rent. So have, these have you, cuts. Have you? <laughs> I, okay, I, I'm gonna uh, agree to disagree with you on that because R. Kelly, he's he's actually written some very very beautiful songs. If you go through his whole catalog, R. Kelly's written some major hits and some very good songs. You know, so it's not all degrading. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of a lot of babies were made to R. Kelly songs. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just going to just know and with confidence say that those are definitely our love children. You know, it's, it's a gift for just life in, in general. So, yeah, I can't. And that's the thing about art and music. You can't. One person can't undermine a person's creativity because of, you know, judgment, especially, especially a sweeping tide of judgment. You know, it's person's character and value work is so much more nuanced than you know, a mad media campaign, whether or not we agree with the uh, validity of it. You're right. There's way more worth, I think, in, in um, artistic output. And the sad thing is that he has no publishing rights associated with all those beautiful songs that he wrote and the songs that people loved and that they did support for those times that people have made hundreds of millions of dollars from this music. And this man must tour and work and sweat and grind for every new dollar he coming in that he needs to even sustain his life. So but, there's but no wait. Okay, but hold on, not you know, not to be devil's advocate, but let's let's look at this from this point, from what you're saying, okay? And then I want to, uh, you know, definitely talk about what what you're speaking on today about owning your own music and and exactly. starting your own record label. But okay, let's and put how do it you this do way. That? Yes. Hey, let Let's say you're you're a talented artist, right? But uh, you know. And, and now you have the internet and the power of the internet and, you know, you can market yourself and, yes, own your own music and all that. But like you said, these companies have the power of distribution. They have the power to put your music in places that, you know, uh, that reach further. And so with a person like, let's say, R. Kelly, who is saying, okay, I've made all these songs. I've, I've been in this industry for 30 years, but now I'm broke. Do you put that on the record company who's given this person all kind of exposure and opportunities and probably has generated and put more money in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? Had he done it all by himself, you know, and say, okay, well, that's just your mismanagement of your money and your mismanagement of your time. Even though you, you had these disabilities, you had, you know, the reading, you know, disability and, and the math disability. Oh, right, and I should mention that he owes the IRS twenty million, which was he said in this song also. Yes, yes. So, but that's what I'm saying. To owe them twenty million, they're you know assuming that you've made you know sixty million, you know, for your music. So how how can you know you put that back on the record company? And like I said, I'm just being the devil's advocate because I I know you know the the um the uh corruption you know in the in the record business and, and and how they do take from the artist but with a with a you know a pop star or an artist like that how can you say okay you made 60 million but the record company's wrong because you don't own your songs that's interesting well i i can't really say that the record company is wrong more so than it is outdated 
and outmoded for the times because of the tastes being so limited. Now, the record companies oftentimes have stake in radio and television. So they want to limit, and there's only so much space that's available. And in and, and that respect, they want to, you know, they own the radio station. So every artist who makes music is not able to get airplay. There's not enough space and there's not enough. Um, oh, I, for lack of a better word, I would say open-mindedness. But if there's a thing called top 40, so the music has to fit within that criteria. And of course, how, um, how easy for it, how easy is it for an independent musician to be heard in all the markets that are screened to be able to measure amid the the top labels top labels that have all of this um, distribution. But I will say there's a um, indie hit maker. I think might be the name of this particular um, service that serves independent artists. That uh, Nielsen, for instance, requires a membership to keep track for you to automatically submit to them every unit that you have sold. So you can go on your laptop and say, okay, well today I sold 10 or every store reported me to me at the end of the week and I've sold so many across all these regions. So Indie Hitmaker will allow in independent to say, okay, I did a show tonight, I sold um, 10 CDs or I did a show and I sold five shirts. So we're able to keep track and become monitored and, and it's the same thing with if when the music has its ISRC code, which is International Standard Recording Code, is a serial number for a particular sound recording. This, um, every time a song plays in any digital outlet, it's flagged. And this is reported to Nielsen when properly registered in the BDS, the broadcast data systems, and also with uh, Nielsen title registration so that plays and sales get blipped. So there is a way, and so Indie Hitmaker recently reported, I so wish that I could remember the particular name of this duo in the hip hop genre who in the first week of release in the past couple months placed on five different charts, including Billboard, with this release that was not backed by any major label, but was independent, you know, with the label these guys founded. And that is a testament of a couple things, that people are open to listen and hear and buy um, music. There are radio stations who will play it when properly presented. Um, and then there are people who are listening to music that is beyond what the major labels put out. Um, it, it's it's not that the major labels are wrong, but it's that it, history have sh has shown that, that some of the most greatest, some of the most great prolific artists with tremendous sales have are broke. And it's sad because well, we love these artists and we want to honor them by buying and to know that they don't get the benefit of that in in proportion to the sales and appreciation that we give you know you're, you're you're absolutely right but here's my take on it like okay getting you know once you step into that realm of okay i want to be a paid artist not just someone who sings not just someone who performs but i want to get paid for what i do now that's when you're entering into the record business and like any business they're there to make a profit there have been movies 
and documentaries and shows. I mean, it's almost a running joke that the artist is going to get, um, you know, get get ripped off you know what i'm saying i mean like it it's been on television shows it's been in movies that same recurring theme about someone trying to make it with their music or they make a great hit song and it gets taken from them so why do artists continue to pursue that if they know that's one of the um the setbacks of the business I almost want to jump ahead to and and really put more responsibility on the music listener, but it's star power. It's uh, it's the appeal of potentially being seen and heard, being fa- being famous. People want to be famous, yeah. People want to be famous because I mean, like me personally, I know that I you know because you know like there's there's places like Audio Kite and things that I I. I uh, work with and um, you know their big thing is you know listening to music making sure it's good before I guess they put it out and me personally I don't particularly if a song gets to my ear me personally I think it's a good song because I don't listen to the radio I don't I'm not into you know you know what the next person's playing just because it's popular you know just how, how you listen to people and you almost can tell they're all tuned to the same radio or, you know, they're all on the same songs. And like, you know, I was explaining to someone else the other day, I'm like, these people aren't saying, okay, well, I like this artist because I listen to all these other artists and this artist just happens to stand out the most to me. They're listening to it, like you said, because it's popular, because it's being played on the radio all the time. You know, what's sad about me... Yeah, listening as opposed to proactive listening. Yes, yes. Like, like what really disturbs me is you know um, the consciousness of how people don't go. Okay, wait a minute. I just heard this song fifteen minutes ago. How are they only playing twenty songs on the radio? You know, per day when there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands of artists out there. It seems like a record, a radio station, or you know these stations would would, you know, be thrilled at playing new artists and new content, you know, to get listeners coming in because they're always playing something new. But no, you find that on Wouldn't college that radio. That, yeah, yes, yes, it would. But you find that on college radio, they're willing to take more risk, you know what I'm saying, and play artists. And to me, their music is better, the music that you hear on college radio. You know, like if you, you listen to like a show like uh, on, on KCRW, they, you know, most of the music I like their DJs are playing on that particular channel. You is know, that 89.9 FM in LA? Yes, 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 yes. You know, they've, they've broken a lot of, you know what I'm saying, songs that have become really popular, but they were independent from independent artists, you know? And, and so my thing, okay, uh, getting on what you're talking about, this is, okay, what's, what's the benefit of doing you know, all the IRSC stuff, owning your own record label, putting out your own music, when, uh, let's say, like, you know, the whole Southern rap strategy, where, you know, they were just selling records out of their trunk, you know, wouldn't you make more just selling it from person to person, you know, well, I guess, you know, you have the digital, um, the digital delivery, Uh, but yeah, you know, these guys are just... Well, I'm glad you asked that. Now, imagine if you were... 
you are a, a artist that's favored. You know, you have some great success track record. Maybe you have a, a, a you have a record that did well, and so now you're in a position to, you know, renegotiate. So say you're you're in that position, and the record label decides to give you a big old whopping ten percent because you've proven yourself as having the ability to sell. Ten okay. cent per album, and possibly you know seven, um, maybe three three to five cents per download. Maybe if you're doing really great. So you, for one, necessarily need to sell millions to be able to have any you know reasonable profit with, and then you're going to be paying back the expense of promoting. You know, and that's like video shoots and um, pressing the album itself. That's a, a artist expense. The art, the record company normally doesn't cover that out of their share. So, if you were an independent artist and you produced your, I'll call it your raw material that you. You know, what I'm saying instead of using the the big hit makers that do Mac, Michael Jackson's using a million dollar SSL board, you're using your Mackie mixer. You know, you're using a Pro Tools inside your house or Cubase or something like that. Yeah. Now, when you sell your CD, the album that you, you go through CD Baby, which is you know things like Aloe Black. I've heard Aloe Black and Ludacris and different ones have used these services. Distro Kid. Um, say you go through uh, your label. Which you start because you own the asset, the artist who writes owns the asset, and you have all the registrations in place in place to protect this thing. So now you want to distribute it to the public over the internet, as opposed to getting ten cent per album sale. You're going to be getting eight dollars on your twelve dollar album. You're going to be getting six dollars on your ten dollar album because, of course, your distributor is going to take you know maybe a twenty to thirty percent cut to okay. make yourself available. There's some who. You know, depending on the distribution uh, method and, and uh, agreement that you choose, maybe the distributor, your digital distributor or outlet may take less than 25 or 30 percent. Maybe, you you know, it all depends. But that's pretty much the chunk. And just that disparity on the surface, 10 cents versus six dollars. So then you can sell one to two to five thousand units in your hometown and the surrounding regions and make much more than an artist who's making millions will make that, you know, they need to sell yeah. millions yeah. over a period of several albums. And so in this, right. week, that's that trust relationship that the artist must have in their, um, when they start to reconcile their dreams and their hopes and the ideas they had with the reality of being in the record business partnered with the record company where you're not a partner, but you're an employee. So, yeah, I, I remember. I think I remember um, the book of uh, the the business of music, or one of those books where he broke it down, and uh, it seemed like after all the expenses and after everything that the artist had to pay, he said they would have been better off working a a job that paid them like forty thousand a year. You know, so imagine you know you're going through all that touring, promotion, marketing, you know, and then all the expenses and the advances and once everything is recouped, if you recoup, you know, you're you're basically making like 40 grand. You know, and you but, know what's interesting? I heard I've read a similar statistic and I, I'm uncertain it could be um 
touring for the jazz musician, but they give similar numbers with independently touring versus, you know, record label, uh, entry level contract. And the number I saw was something like 27,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And a person working a job making that equivalent would be as much as you would have as a return on a label. Now, let me ask you this. Have you did any studies um, or do you believe in your heart when you see like, um, let's say a, a new artist comes out and next thing you know, you know, because it, it sucks us all in and you go check out this artist on YouTube or wherever they're playing his music and you see all these millions and millions of views. Do you think that they are manipulating those numbers in order to get more people to to look at that artist or to listen to that song? Or is it, is it are these people really, are, are these unique hits and these many millions of people are actually said, this is a great song, I wanna listen to it? Well, it's possible. And if it would serve to the benefit of a product and you have control over uh, the method, I mean, I, I, I don't see why it wouldn't be done. You, without you know, trying to be too controversial and speculating, I I think that you can read like what's this book? Um, well, it, it's, it's, it's 1984, and basically yeah. there's so many parallels that people draw between then and now. You know, the whole term Big Brother, this show that goes on TV, it originated in this book in the 50s. This guy had you know, in this book he talks about flat screen TVs and. You know, things like that. But in this book, this guy, who, the protagonist, his job is to correct what the public can access based on what the position is of the controllers at that time. So if there was mention of an enemy in the past month or the past year that now this enemy is a friend, they go back in time and just wipe all references of the in, of the relationship that referred to this this entity as an enemy where this country was not a friend and it has always been a friend. So, I mean, uh, and I, like I said, 1984 has so many parallels and we have that ability to go within. I've seen it happen myself where, you know, there are edits to a article that if you read a print newspaper, a misprint stays there, there needs to be a retraction, but information can, you know, print it on, um, dispersed through the internet, you read it one moment and then, oh, there's it's on, it's been updated and then there's a note that it's been updated or revised. But yeah. it, that's always, it's not always given that it's been revised. I think, you know, maybe edited in such a quick time that, you know, maybe no one caught it, so there's no need to mention a revision. But, and then that's the stuff that maybe not, you know, that, that it applies some type of um what would I, some ethical approach to, you know, hey, out there. They, they, they did it with the voting machines, you know, one vote for this person equal two votes for that people. So maybe one click on this song equals, you know, that, you know, five clicks, who knows how they're doing it, you know, because I, I sometimes to me, it, it, I just find it impossible that that many people gravitate towards you know, like, I, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I believe I know what a hit is, you know, or I can listen to a song and go, that's a hit. But, you know, some of this music and maybe I'm just becoming like a grumpy old man, but you listen to it and you're like, 
you know, 11 million, 60 million, 300 million people could have not have possibly, you know, been that blind and been that due to like, you know, but it will things. substantiate the validity of this thing. You know, you see these numbers, you're like, oh, wow, it yeah. must be legit. It has yeah. to be yes. something yeah. worthy of my time. There's so many people I want to know, too. Yes, there's something in marketing that says, you know, if you give people too many choices, you know, or, or sales, I believe, if you give people too many choices, then they don't buy anything at all. You know, so I believe that with music, they're limiting the choices you know, and then, like I said, overinflating the the numbers. So you, you know, you just, it, it's, it's, uh, what is it? It's crowd culture. So you see everybody else want it and you get it yourself, you know, and, and on that, have you looked into, okay, let's say, you know, I've seen songs on online for 69 cents, 99 cents. Now are the artists getting more of that money? Absolutely not. Whether it's physical or it's digital, I you know half a cent. It's it's interesting too the way that the the plays you know you really need a, you need hundreds of thousands and millions of plays before you start dealing with a significant return on that asset. And I'm talking about per outlet per station. And I heard about Drake recently getting a billion hits. And whether that was manipulated or not, he's at the top and I'm sure he has friends in the highest places that control many aspects of his terrain, whether it's the distribution or the marketing and the, the outlets themselves, whether iHeartRadio, iTunes, you know, um, the, but the thing is that listeners now, you have Spotify and slowly people are becoming... Uh, having more discretion on their choices, and I hope more, being more um, proactive in their choices of where they listen. What so Pandora is an interesting, um, for, uh, what would I call that? It's a platform for music music that's not just in high rotation, and they have this music genome project. So the taste that you seem to prefer or that you're interested in, they'll push new music that you haven't heard in those similar styles. So all this stuff is opening up the horizon. And I think too, when you deal with the conglomerates who own it, you know, there are these intermingled corporate interests that are not just dealing with what the artist's opinion is. You know, there may be interests that you wanna uh, maintain a, a position and not have something that is adverse to what the official position is. So artists sometimes are limited what what they can speak, what they can uh, say, who they can even associate with the scope or the content of their music. It becomes censored. And so when we open up to other styles and artists, then which people are doing Spotify, um, sound, uh, what's the name of that website? That SoundCloud is another one. And it takes time. I think if people just said just easily turn on the radio or in the car or and then whatever is playing, then that's what you get. But then there's another more, you know, putting on a playlist and letting that go is, is the next thing, you know, figuring out how to tap in more. But, you know, what I, what I want to do when we come back next time is speak to the independent artist about the nature of the commodity which is the song 
and how that is, um, how that moves in commerce, how we establish something as simple as song lyrics and music into a commodity. And so we're seeing ourselves as like, look, we're oil pits. And our thing is building the machinery to extract it and in small doses, give it to the people with a, such a tremendously greater return than if we were to, you know, have that small chance of, you know, being picked to be robbed by a record label. So yeah, that's what I want to do next time. And I hope my, my goal is to play some music. I want to play some independent music and take people out. So I wonder what you think about that. I'm sorry, are you still there? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that would be great to play some music. Um, so let, let me ask you this. Okay, let's, let's start off from step one. Let's say, you know, uh, I've written and produced, you know, uh, a song that I like. And just, just one song, not even a whole album, okay? Is it possible to digitally or distribute that song and make money off of it under my own record label or production company? Absolutely. The artist is the first record label there is. When every asset that will ever be uh, exploited or sold or... And, on the market, every little piece of it, it, it all begins in the artist's name and an artist's title with the mere creation of it. And that's what's so amazing that this, this commodity, this asset, that it, there's an established market. Because for years, the performing rights organizations have lobbied Congress and made sure that this right that we own, that it's statutory law by copyright law. When you own the copyright of something and by merit of writing it, it's, it's yours. When it's, when it's put in fixed forms, yeah, well, you can register it too. And you should, but that doesn't discount that right. And by law, every time any one copy is made, it's five cents. Oh, to the person who owns the copyright for that song, that those lyrics, that, that okay. composition. And what's interesting is, that's so that's like 10 times more than um, they will give to the artist when for the sale of this thing. And it's, so it's like right away that they that's law. They, they create part of the contract diminishes that it takes that away. It takes possession of the copyright, actually. Just st standard record contracts takes full possession of the copyright of the writer of the song. And, you know, of course there, there's people come in with negotiating power. They write great songs and they've been doing this and they, they always own their music. So why should they give it away now? Dolly Parton famously refused Elvis Presley the rights to record I Will Always Love You because he wanted a percentage of the publishing rights. And she refused because she knew the value of that asset. And big old Elvis Presley didn't get to record that song and make millions for her and him, but Whitney Houston did. And that song did great. And of course, even at that time, Dolly Parton kept her rights as a writer of that song. And so, you know, Whitney Houston in that case will be working with 
performance royalties where there are applicable, but not for radio play, interestingly. For sales, yeah, but not for radio. Performers don't get rights to music that they do not own, whether or not they're the writer, and they've given those rights away. So the independent artist is, is just heavily poised with much smaller numbers to get a such greater return. I mean, if you produce your own music, you, you can assign yourself that five cents, but you know, you have the whole $10. You might as well keep your ducks in a row and say, no matter what, if I even share Extendies rights, I wanna make sure that, you know, there's a separate account. And that's the way that you do keep accounting for each particular stream of income. But when it's all yours, you know, it, it's sort of a different outlook. And that is what the independent artist is working with. Releasing so numbers, it's a numbers game, selling hundreds of thousands and millions and getting a, a you know a percentage of a cent as opposed to selling hundreds or thousands and each sale being worth dollars. That is an incentive for the artist to retain ownership and find outlets to make it available. Okay. Excuse me. I, I had a, a bit of a glitch there. I think maybe it happens when no, it's, I. It's, it's me. I. <laughs> that's that's one thing for future reference. You can't touch your your. I'm I'm calling you in. Uh, calling into you from a cell phone, and you can't you know, uh, click away. I'm, I I access your link through Twitter, and you can't click away from um that Twitter or, or that link, or it, it cuts you off. I thought that may have happened to me too, as I was going to another screen, but we're, okay. we're going to close it off here. We've been on for, we, we thought, Hey, we may do a 15 minute discussion, but we're, we're approaching 45 minutes. We're at 42. So I will, uh, hopefully the song will play. I'll put on rise and uh, share some music. I own all the rights. So I think I can license it to myself for the, um, to play it on this, program and thank you so much for taking the time and sharing some of this information we want to get as much of it out as we can because um it's it's a changing era it's there are you know the corporate conglomerates are going heap bigger and bigger but then there's also more intimacy between us as individuals and this humanity movement so um, we, we are even more connected, interconnected, as sometimes we get uh, clouded by some of the hype. Can you hear that? I cannot. In that case, I want to say thank you for listening to the Independent Musician, Intellectual Property and the Benevolent Nature of Creative Assets. This call is brought to you by Dialogue. Like discussions and debate, Dialogue lets you have your own call-in show over the internet.